Blog Talk Radio. Rifleman Radio Show on Rifleman Radio. We'd like everybody to, uh, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us this evening. We got a great show for you. The Rifleman Radio Show is brought to you by the Appleseed Project, which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. And what is the Revolutionary War Veterans Association? It's a program dedicated to bringing you the absolute best. Fundamentals of Rifle Marksmanship Program in the United States today. And while we're doing that, we're going to talk to you about the history and the heritage of America, how you got to be where you are, how how the country came about, why it did, and the responsibility that you have as an American today. You know, being being an American isn't granted to you by having somebody fill in your name on a on a slot on a piece of paper, all right? That that could well make you a legal citizen, but it doesn't make you an American. You're an American when you realize that you have a sacred responsibility to safeguard the rights, the freedoms, the liberties that living in this nation affords you. Nothing that you have today came to you in a fashion that was free. Nothing was uh, – everything that you have today – and I'm talking about even if you worked for it, uh, you worked for it, you didn't work for it, uh, everything that you have today was brought to you by the Founding Fathers. It was brought to you by the sacrifices made beginning on April 19, 1775, by the men and women who stood in ranks on Lexington Green at the North Bridge in Concord, 
and along Battle Road back to Boston. That's where this country started. That's where we came from. And and when you come to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Clinic, it's a two-day clinic Saturday and Sunday, we're going to spend a good deal of time talking to you about this. And it's something that you... Uh, it's something that you're going to want to listen to. All right. Uh, normally we have uh, normally we have about uh, ten or fifteen minutes of of show stuff that uh, we talk about. I'm going to cut it real short tonight because we've got uh, Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast is our guest, and I want to I want to give every minute that we have available to him. But first, I'm just going to tell you that if you want to come to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event. Here's how you do it. You find out where the where the events are being held to you. And there's every weekend across the United States uh, within reasonable driving distance to you, every single weekend of the year within reasonable driving distance to you, we are holding a an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Clinic, a two-day clinic. <clears throat> and when I say reasonable driving distance, I mean a reasonable driving distance uh, between the between 50 and, uh, 50 and, say, 250, 300 miles, all right, because the first uh, the first event I attended was about 1,400 miles away, and I thought that that was quite reasonable considering the importance of uh, attending the event to me. So how do you find out where one's going to be held close to, uh, close to you? First, you go to rwva.org, RomeoWhiskeyVictorAlpha.org. That's our homepage. On the home page, you'll see a list of tabs across the top. The second one from the left says Appleseed. Put your cursor on that tab, you'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, select Schedule. That'll take you to a page that has a map of the United States on it. You put your cursor on the state that uh, where you want to attend the event. You click on that, and that'll give you a listing of the events in that particular state. If you want to see events for the across the whole United States, then you can click on the link that is embedded within the text above the map. <clears throat> All right, once you, uh, once you get to the events page and you find a, an event that you would like to attend, they'll be listed alphabetically by the city that they're being held in, uh, and right behind that will be the state for that, uh, for that weekend date. <clears throat> so you find the event that you would like to attend. There are two hot links to the right of that uh, listing. One says uh, information. That'll take you to the event information page. <clears throat> the event information page has the location, uh, has all the details that you will need for that specific event on that specific date. It'll give you the uh, the location, uh, contact information, etc. The other hot link says register. We're doing events all across the United States every single weekend. We're doing hundreds of events uh, simultaneously, and it's just we're just getting bigger and bigger. Now, there's a good chance that you can still walk on to an apple seed event and get a place on the line, but there's a also <laughs> an equally good chance that when you get there, uh, instead of being directed to the firing line, you'll be directed over to the place where we have the uh, the pots and the potatoes and the and the peelers, and uh, you can peel potatoes while the rest of the folks are learning to. Uh, to shoot and become riflemen. So what you're going to want to do is pre-register. And this does a couple of things. One, it makes sure that you have a place on the line. You've got your place on the line. You're guaranteed that place on the line. 
And two, it helps us by knowing that you're coming. As I said, we have events going on all across the nation simultaneously. That means we've got to get instructors to all the events, uh, airlines, hotels, iron supplies. We want to make sure that we have a good uh, amount of instructors at uh, each event. And the only way we're going to know how many instructors to send, how much uh, supplies that we need to ship, is by looking at the pre-registration numbers. And uh, there have been times when we have... uh, when we've run out of line at a certain location, but because we knew that uh, that a lot of people wanted to attend, we've gone back into that city and we've secured additional line, either at that range or uh, in a couple of cases we got ranges, uh, even they were across town, but we still got additional ranges. But I can tell you this, it's guaranteed that that won't happen if we don't know that you're coming. All right? We will, we will move mountains to get a place for you to shoot on the line. But we're not going to be able to do it unless we know that you're coming. All right? So make sure that you pre-register. It will guarantee you a place on the line, and it will make sure that we have uh, uh, a good ratio of uh, instructors to students and the right amount of equipment. So once again, in order to find a location to attend, go to rwva.org. Take a look at the tabs across the top. Second from the left is Appleseed. Put your cursor on that. You'll get a drop-down menu. Select Schedule, that'll take you to the listing of events. All right? Okay, normally I'd read off the the uh, upcoming events, but we're going to skip that for tonight. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to bring on our guest. Jack Spierko is our guest tonight from the survivalpodcast.com. And Jack Spierko is he's a modern voice of survival, preparedness in America. And uh, listen, he does an absolutely amazing uh, job at this. And uh, uh, and I tell folks a lot of times, uh, I say, look, uh, you listen to Jack, he's not going to tell you, he's not going to tell you how to tear up a pair of blue jeans and make a loincloth. But he will tell you every single thing else you need to know about uh survival and prepping. And the stuff that he doesn't know, you can go to his website, you can find it out there. Everything from how to select uh, home mortgages and pay down your credit to water purification and edible plants, etc. And uh, I, I think that Jack Spierko is like the, I think he's the, the James Brown of the survival community. He's, uh, he's the hardest working man in, in the, the survival crew there. So I'd like to bring him on right now. Uh, Jack Spierko, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cal. Thanks for that introduction. I've never been compared to James Brown before. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> well, you're, you're definitely, like I said, you're you're definitely the, the hardest working man in the uh, survival prepping community that I know of. You, you put out a daily podcast. On top of that, the number of how-to videos and gear videos, uh, they're just, uh, they're endless. And... Uh, and you run a, a great website and forum, and uh, you're just doing it. You do an absolutely fantastic job, and uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know if anybody is doing a, a better job than you. Well, the audience helps out a lot. As far as the forum, I got to give the credit to the moderators there. But when it comes to video and shows, we're fixing to ramp things up a notch. Uh, we got a big announcement today. We've uh, secured a new office. I'm making the move to Arkansas after all these years to our place up there, our kind of remote location. And uh, it's remote enough that we don't have good Internet access, and so we're picking up a uh, 
uh, you know, kind of a proper office. And uh, so there'll be more video and there'll be more content. And uh, really looking forward to it. And thanks to everybody that's helped us get as far as we have today. Well, like I said, you run a great you run a great program over there. And I know that I've talked to you before, and I've, I've put this out on Twitter and uh, and on my blog and everything else that. Now, I think that the government owes you uh, a paycheck because uh, of the amount of work that you're doing to make sure that they're that uh, if somebody listens to your show, if they listen to your show and they actually follow the directions, then I can guarantee you they're never going to end up on top of their house with a save me sign around their neck waving at the helicopters and the TV crews and stuff. And uh, and that's what the government should be uh, should be paying you for. So first off, well, you know, Scott, remember what I remember what I remember what I told you uh, when you said that to me the first time. If they would just like let me not pay taxes anymore, we could call it even. Yeah, I, I think you have a better chance of getting a paycheck from somebody than ever getting caught off the tax yeah. rolls. Well, first off, Jack. So a lot of folks when they when they hear about modern survivalism or uh, and and I know that you'd rather call it prepping. But first off, what is that? What What is modern survivalism? What is prepping? Well, you know, I came up with the term modern modern survivalism because I wanted something that was all-encompassing, where I didn't have to throw away modern technology and modern conveniences, but we also didn't become dependent on them. So, I mean, if you think back to when you were in grade school, they made you memorize your addition, your subtraction, your multiplication, and your division. Uh, I don't know if they still do that because they got, you know, all this this new, we don't want to upset the student by having them fail uh, stuff in our education system now. But you had to learn that. And that way you could actually do complex mathematics before they ever let you touch a calculator. Eventually they gave you a calculator, and that empowered you to do even more with mathematics. And I try to take the same approach with survivalism. Um, I don't, for instance, uh, think that there's anything wrong with having a GPS, but I think it's also a good idea to know how to use a map and a compass so if you get lost and your GPS doesn't work, you can navigate yourself. And, and it's really this kind of approach that I've tried to bring to everything. And I wanted it, you know, you were, you were talking in the beginning about, you know, we even talk about things like how to find the right mortgage and how to pay your debt down and how to get out of debt and how to never be in debt. And I didn't want my show to just be about, wilderness survival or just about primitive survival or just about hunting and fishing and trapping animals all of it or just about self-defense all of these things are important all of these fall under that umbrella but modern survivalism takes a holistic approach to all of these things so that the person that's a modern survivalist can live next door to you and you don't even know uh that, that they're that type of person unless they share that information with you which is not necessarily a bad thing as well um to have some level of operational security uh encompassing this so it's really about living our life using the modern conveniences as, as let's say, purely what they are, conveniences, having a fallback plan, and overall living the way that our grandparents did or the way they would have done had we given them today's technology and opportunities. Right, and what you're talking about now is living the survival or prepping lifestyle, and which is a very, very important idea, a very important ideology because – if you do it that way, well, I'm going to let you talk about it, but the difference, but tell folks the difference between living a survival or prepping lifestyle and then waiting until uh, three, the, ter- the hurricane is three days out and rushing to the uh, store. Well, you know, here's the thing. A lot of times when we uh, get media covers today, survivalists were kind of given a negative view and they talk about hoarding. Well, we're not hoarders. Uh, the example you just gave, waiting until three days before the hurricane hits, 
Well, that's when everybody's running out and taking part of whatever resources are left available and everything dries up and nothing's around. If you're living this lifestyle, when a hurricane comes, well, you pay attention, obviously, because it could destroy your home. There's flooding risks and things like that. You're Basically, you're making a decision at that point. Do I button down and stay put? Do I shelter in place? Or do I go? But you're not worried about, is my car full of gas because you have reserve fuel? You're not worried about, do I have water? Do I have food? Do I have a means for, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, Johnny Max and uh, the Queen that do the Self-Sufficient Homestead uh, podcast. They went through a couple hurricanes down the Houston area. Well, they had an infant baby in the house, so they had to make sure they had a way to keep a room cool, which is something a lot of, like, really tough guys with their, their rifles and all don't always think about. Well, you know, you've got to think about the rest of your family in this stuff as well, folks. So if you have an infant, for instance, you need to make sure that you have a way to keep them cool. Well, if you're living this lifestyle, it's not preparing for an event. I think that's the big important thing. Right now there's probably a lot of people on the line that really are thinking about Japan right now. And they're thinking about the nuclear disaster and all this stuff that's going on over there. And it's a terrible, terrible thing that's happened over there. I feel for those people. But my point is if you're living the lifestyle, it's business as usual for you. It's not, oh, my God, what do I do, because you're already prepared. And it's something we do in small incremental steps. It's not something you're going to do tomorrow morning. You're not going to go out and go from complete grasshopper to well-prepared ant in 48 hours. Unless you're worth several million dollars, you could probably pull it off. For the rest of us that have to work in the real world, it's a slow, methodical process. And I think the biggest thing that I try to teach people is, I can give you all this information, you pick and choose from it what fits your risk profile, what you want, your lifestyle, and you do it your way and you own your plan. If I tell you do steps 1 through 100 exactly the way I plan them out, that's my plan. You won't do it. And you won't live. That's the thing. You've got to live the lifestyle. And it seems like you're sacrificing, but about six months in, you start to create surplus in your life. Several years in, you're completely free of debt, and the survivalist has a better lifestyle in both good times and bad. Right, and so, so there's the the tenant, which is you're living the survival lifestyle. You're not waiting to the last minute, and you're not going out tomorrow and and starting uh, and buying everything at once. So you have to have a plan, and like you said, your plan is dependent on you. Now you brought up the Japan. Uh, episode that's going on right now, and you can see. Uh, and I, I was listening to your show the other day, and I've been listening to the news about it. <clears throat> and you have the uh, the folks in the areas that are hardest hit. Uh, well, they're hit. I mean, if you're the, if you're down there on the coast and you got a tsunami, there's not a whole lot of survival stuff you can do unless you are a millionaire and you've built yourself some kind of submarine thing. But when we start hearing about that, they're having shortages and stuff. The shortages aren't in the damage areas, right? No, because, you know, every bit of relief effort that can be mustered is being sent to the people in the areas that are most affected. As you move out from that area, you move to the areas that are minorly affected and out to the areas that really aren't directly affected at all, but people are panicking. And there's a a process that, that kind of runs through the human mind, the human psychology, that we need to understand so that we're not part of it, so that we're, that we're actually separate from it. So we can either, if it's really bad, we're sheltering in place and waiting it out. And if, in most situations, hopefully, you know, you, you guys and what you guys do uh, at Appleseed, it's all about being a good citizen of this country. Well, good citizens help their fellow citizens, and they help the, the, their, their fellow brothers and sisters around the world 
when, when they're hurting. And they're able to do this because they're prepared. So it's not just about, I think sometimes people think of survivalists as isolationists, and what people say, well, what's going to happen if people know you're a survivalist in your community when there's a disaster? Well, I'm going to be standing out there in the middle of that disaster as long as it's not you know, raining down on my head, helping those fellow people. But what's going on in Japan right now, there's enough honor in that, that society, and, and we could do with a little bit of, of, of emulating that honor, but there's enough honor that there's not looting and stealing, but there's still hoarding. Right. Because what happens is these people are going out, and I want you to understand, folks, that like it's easy to sit here and be judgmental, but you're not there, right? And what's happening is the average Japanese citizen isn't going out and going, I'm going to go out and get you know six weeks' worth of food. What they're thinking is maybe it's a good idea to go to the grocery store today and get a little bit extra, a little bit more than normal, and then when they get there, everybody else is doing it too. So what happens to the human psychology in that environment, comp- competition sinks in. And then it spirals. Because as soon as one shelf of one item wipes out, people start grabbing whatever they can get. And that's right, exactly. the shortages right now. And then we over here, we're, we're almost as bad because we have people freaking out buying potassium iodine at, at un, unprecedented rates, paying 100 bucks for a bottle on eBay, when the people that actually need it, they're the ones that are 50 miles away from the plant, folks. Right. And, and we're, we're contributing to that problem. And I've taken some heat from my own audience for saying that, but but the reality is, and I think people need to understand this so we stop freaking out about what's going to happen to us here. In the 50s and 60s, we detonated atomic bombs and tests in Nevada, okay, in the middle of our own desert. And that posed a much bigger threat. Uh, There were tests going on uh, throughout, uh, at, at different times of the world. Throughout the world, there were nuclear tests going on. There were releasing greater amounts of nuclear material and far more dangerous material than what's coming out of this plant. And we need to keep our wits about us. And what you'll find is the person that's well-prepared is not real nervous right now. Right. If you have a plan, and that's one of the things that I want to get across to to the Appleseed folks and, and actually to anybody who's listening, and that is you have to have a plan. If you wait to the last minute, you're going to make some very bad decisions, and you need to have a plan, and you need to start implementing the plan today. And the the idea that that I put forth for this show is, you know, we had uh, back in the old days, we had we were trying to figure out what exactly a rifleman is, and you'd have people posting on the forum, is the rifleman a reloader? Is there is the rifleman a history teacher, etc.? And one of the things that I put up for this show is, is the rifleman a survivalist, and the natural follow-on answer is, is yes, he has to be, not because he has to survive to conquer uh, something or to defend things. He has to survive because he needs to be in a position to provide care and leadership for those around him. You know, whenever I have, when my, when my, somebody takes my kids out, uh, that doesn't happen very often, but when people would drive my, my kids somewhere, I would say, look, <clears throat> you have to wear your seatbelt. They say, well, I don't believe in the, the seatbelt thing. You know, I, people get trapped in there and they burn to death, et cetera. And I go, well, then you're not going to take my kids. If you're going to take my kids, you have to wear your seatbelt. Not because I want you to live, but because I need you to survive the event in order to provide first aid for my kids. And uh, and that's the whole idea behind this. Is a rifleman needs to be in a position that he is not scrambling around nervously trying to buy the last bit of uh, uh, of ramen noodles, etc., from the store. He should have enough food on hand to take care of himself and his family uh, for at least a minimal amount of time so that he can make some good decisions 
while everyone else is running around and freaking out. So you have to have a plan, and you have to follow that plan. And one of the things I also lo- wanted you to talk about, because uh, you're one of the first people that I heard this from, <clears throat> it's a logical thing, but and that is when you're planning, you plan in a certain order. That means you plan from the, the most uh, most logically occurring event to the least logically occurring event. At the very far end of the spectrum is aliens invading, uh, invading or a comet hitting, and uh, that the the closest one is uh, you'll tell people all the time is that uh, is that you lose your job. So, so talk about right. that for a minute about the the order of preparation. Yeah, yeah. What I call it is an inverse relationship, which is a really complicated sounding way of explaining something very very simple, which is. The larger the number of people affected by the disaster, it seems like you know that would be the thing you're most likely affected by, but it's completely the opposite. If you look at there's millions of people affected by this, opposite, uh, uh, this, this, uh, this disaster in Japan right now. It's a huge disaster, one of the biggest the world's ever seen. But the majority of the people in the world, not affected. I mean, billions upon billions upon billions of people, not affected. 1.6 billion people in China kind of looking on going, man, I'm glad it's not us. But... Last year, how many people in America lost a job? And and that's kind of the way you have to think about this, that the the, the lower the number, the, when it hits one person, that's the thing that's most likely to happen to you. Now, the other side of this, uh, because the pessimists will say, and they're absolutely correct, yeah, but if I get hit by a tsunami, an earthquake, and a breaking down nuclear reactor all at the same time, it's a much bigger deal. Well, that's the impact scale. So as the impact scale increases, the probability that you're going to have to deal with it goes down. So what it makes sense to do is start out and say, look, I want to be prepared in case I lose my job. And that sounds kind of boring to people that want kind of the sexy Hollywood version of survivalism, but it takes you so far because it includes things like food storage. If I have 90 days' worth of food, store what I eat, eat what I store in my home, and I lose my job, what does every man say about his family when it comes to work? I've got to do two things, and what are they? Roof overhead, food on the table. Well, for 90 days, food's on the table. I don't have to worry about it. So all that food storage talk that people think that is just about the end of the world as we know it, you know, the black helicopters are going to come get us, or whatever that is, helps us in the most mundane, everyday disaster that's impacted over 9 million Americans in the past two years. 9 million people have dealt with a job loss in the past two years. Now, you tell me if they would have been better off if in their home was 90 days' worth of food, in their bank account was money instead of owed money in the form of debt, and they had a plan to deal with that. Now, if we take a person that's planned for if I lose a job, if my spouse is killed or injured or in the hospital, or these these things that, you know, it's a local weather event and I lose the roof of my home, and they're prepared for all that, and we say, okay, Let's move now into a little bit bigger of a disaster, a regional disaster, something like a Hurricane Katrina. And let's say you're not in ground zero where the roof comes down and you're dead, because if that happens, it doesn't matter if you're prepared or not because your problems are over. But you're in those outskirts. You're in that aftermath. You've got 90 days' worth of food. You've got a way to purify water. You've got an evacuation plan. You're free of debt. All of a sudden, you're actually prepared for that all the way up to that regional disaster. So we start looking at the, the scale of disaster, individual neighborhood, small region, large region. We prepare just for the individual disaster, and we're pretty well prepared for everything up to a large regional disaster. And let's face it, in the last 200 years, every major disaster has been a large regional disaster. We haven't had a true global disaster yet. Pretty God we never do. 
But doesn't it make sense that we at least get ourselves prepared for that first half of the spectrum first, since history's shown us that's what typically occurs? And if we do ever have a global disaster, the same press, the most likely thing that's going to happen, that's really going to affect the entire world today, and there's no one that can, can kind of really uh, defend against this, is a pandemic of some sort. Could be flu, could be a complete disease we've never even heard of before. Well, if that happens and you are prepared to go 90 days on your own, you can do the one thing that's most important to your survival in that situation, shelter in place and stay isolated from the contamination. And, in fact, the government may tell you you have to stay in place. And I know there's guys out there that think they're tough. They're not going to tell me I'm going to stay home. Yeah, but you're going to go out and do what? You're going to bring this illness home to your children and kill them. This is the mentality of starting from the simple and going to the complex. And this is how quickly going from what seems mundane and unlike, or you know, highly likely, actually takes you to the most extreme thing you're likely to to face. Right, and I'm going to tell you too that the number, uh, and that, uh, like you said, the most common thing are folks uh, losing their jobs, being or getting injured, and and you know, not being able to work, etc., stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you right now that the number of of citizens who are in prison now or dead because uh, losing their job may put them out of money, and like you said, a, a man, even a good man, will do will make very, very bad decisions when it comes to his family and feeding his family. If a man can't feed his family, then he'll do whatever it takes. He'll rob a bank. He'll he'll steal something, whatever, in order to feed his family. And he may he may only need to provide thirty days of food for it. But this is this is the most likely thing that you're going to occur, and. As I said earlier, and as Jack will tell you right off the bat, that not having a plan and not having some form of preparation will lead you by the nose, kicking and screaming, into making a bad decision. It, it's, it's worse than, than just not having a plan. Here's, what, here's when people go and do the, the bad things, the wrong things, and make poor decisions. Not just things that will end you up in jail or get you killed, things that will just screw up your life. As long as I know everything's going to be okay for the next seven days, I'm probably not going to do anything too stupid. If I know everything's going to be okay for the next 48 hours, I'm still not likely to do anything too stupid. I'm likely to start looking for a way to compensate for, you know, hour 49. When my children aren't going to eat tomorrow morning or tonight, I'm likely to do something really, really dumb. And whether that's mortgage my house a second time and go into additional debt or rob a liquor store or anything in between those two extremes, if I had planned in advance, I wouldn't be faced with that decision. There was a guy that has kind of he's kind of a, a real redneck. Like, I'm a redneck, but I consider myself a somewhat sophisticated redneck, if there is such a thing. This guy's like a real, like, this guy's like a real redneck, like proud of it, too. And he writes, and like the end of his sentence, he always uses the word C. Like, you know, if you do this, you'll be okay, see? And uh, he was talking about when you run out of food. He was so, even though he had this, like, redneck angle, he was so spot on when he was saying, if you have enough food to feed yourself, finding more is easy, see? But when you can't feed yourself tomorrow, finding more food is hard. And there's so much wisdom you know, I think this guy's, like, from, like, West Tennessee or something like that. and he, I'm not picking on him, man. He did a post about, you know, not having shoes until he was, like, 17. But that guy has got it spot on. Well, 
you're you're exactly right, and that leads to uh, I'm gonna and I'm gonna ask you in just a minute to explain the the four tenets uh, of uh, survival. But you know, where I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts uh, this last week, and and thank you for for putting them out because I do a lot of tractor work, and I used to absolutely hate it. My dad loves it. He can get in that tractor and he can go for hours on end driving around in mindless circles. Uh, but me, it drives me insane. But uh, once I got uh, a uh, iPod, and I could download your show and listen to it, and uh, and uh, got a little pe- uh, pen and paper so I can make notes while I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> it has really it's really made my work day a lot easier. So so thank you for that. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you about the the four tenets of uh, survivalism. But you know, I was listening to this show the other day, and it was uh, the Patriot Nurse, I believe, okay. and. Uh, she was talking about the the folks. Uh, I I guess uh, I don't know if she had firsthand knowledge of it or if it came up through the uh, uh, the questioning of the folks. But all the people that were getting uh, shot and wounded in Bosnia and, during that conflict, and then uh, to a greater deal, uh, the same thing with folks in Afghanistan and Iraq. The 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 people were getting shot, killed, wounded, etc. And they were asked uh, what they were doing. And each one of them said, we, we were out looking for food. We were out looking for uh, firewood. So the whole reason that they had put themselves in danger is because they had to leave their home in order to find uh, supplies. If they were able to to stay in their home, then they would not have ever been shot, the, the majority of them. So uh, so being able to, to stay in, and like you brought up earlier, if there is a pandemic, I guarantee you, if there's a pandemic and you don't have enough food and you've got to go out to stores, even if you have money and there is food at the stores that you can buy, you're rolling the dice on whether you're going to grab uh, some bug and bring it home with you and your whole family. So you have to be able to to weather in place, to fort up and weather in place at least a minimal amount of time. Uh, now, <clears throat> one of the things, too, that also I really like about uh, about your ideology and your uh your your message jack is is you don't spend you don't spend very much time at all now you you cover firearms but you don't spend a whole lot of time doing it and i've talked to you before about uh, i deal with mostly firearms people and i talk to them and i say hey let me ask you a question what's your uh, in the event of some type of emergency, what's your plan? They say, "Well, I got my, I've got uh, about seven or eight rifles, and I got about a thousand rounds for each one." I said, "All right. Well, what else? Well, that's my plan." And and I I tell them, I go, "What what kind of plan is that? What are you gonna? Are you, are you gonna eat the bullets? Are you gonna eat? Or what are you gonna do? Are you gonna try and take something from somebody else? First of all, that's not a that's not a rifleman uh, attribute." Uh, but what if that person you're going to try try and take stuff from? What if they just got through going to an apple seed? Uh, you know, there's a lot more to yeah. a plan but let than me a have gun. This off you. They, 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 they <clears throat> even bigger for the people that have that plan. This is the scenario I want you to understand that you think you're going to do that in. Even if you're that evil person that would go steal from somebody else, we're in a situation where nobody has any food, nobody has any water, and you think you're going to go steal it. Who the hell are you going to steal it from? You're going to go to people that are starving and steal food? The reason they're starving is they don't have any food. You're going to go to people that are, that are dehydrated and don't have water and steal water? The reason they're dehydrated is they don't have water. Who do you think you're going to go take this stuff from? 
And, and, and I, I've asked people that when they say, well, my plan is I'm going to go and I'm going to find your place and steal your stuff. I'm like, you got a long walk. And you're coming to the – I mean, if, if anything, people like me, if you did know where we are, you should stay the hell away from there. Like you said, the, the guy that just went to the apple seed, that's not the place you want to go to try to take stuff. Because uh, he probably brought his kids and his wife, too, and they're probably all armed and trained. So the people that are prepared are armed and ready to defend what they have, and everybody else that you think is easy pickets doesn't have anything. That's why there's a disaster. If everybody had stuff, there wouldn't be a disaster. So that's the first part of, of the, the arrogance of that statement. And I think most people that say that, most there's some scum. I mean, there's I basically think 1% of the population of the planet is scum. And I don't care if you're a priest or a soldier or a rabbi or a school teacher uh, or any prof- – doesn't matter what profession you are. 1% of all people cause 99% of the problems we have in the world. So those people will do it. Most people that say this stuff, what they're really trying to do is they're compensating for an answer they don't have inside of themselves. They don't really know what the answer to that question is. So they say that because most Americans, in fact, most people in the modern world, walk around in an extreme case of, of what's called normalcy bias, that everything's okay, everything's going to be okay, and there's nothing to worry about. And when you ask that question, you're doing something that's very uncomfortable for them. You're cracking that little shell of normalcy bias around them, and you're making them feel concerned. So they bravo up with that machismo, and I got my gun and my bullets, and I'll go get what I need. Not even thinking that you know, maybe where you ever go, wherever you go to get it, not only do you have to deal with another armed person that doesn't want you to take what they have, they don't have very much to take in the first place. Again, that's right. why it's a disaster. So it makes a hell of a lot more sense to be prepared in the first place so you don't end up there. The other side of this is, if your plan revolves around the gun, your plan is extremely one-dimensional. In a world where you have about a million things to worry about, you've got one covered. And even if you've got the gun, the uh, training, from you know, and if they're trained by you guys, they're not going to be out stealing it in the first place because there's an ethics violation there. And the ammo, unless you're mentally and spiritually prepared to use it when necessary, even the gun's got its own weakness. But you can't eat bullets. You can't drink bullets. You can't dress a wound with bullets, right? You can't make your sick, hungry child that's dying of diarrhea that could be cured with $4 worth of medication. You can't save their life with a bullet. Right. You can and save you and their I life talked, with $4 worth of medication. You and I talked about this, and then you, uh, and you have mentioned this several times, and I think it's absolutely sound logic, and that is you look at the – you look at the number of times in your life, go, go back through your life and look at the number of times that you've depended on a firearm uh, to, uh, to save your life. I've been in, in five different gun battles. Three of those, I forgot to bring a gun, and, uh, and this is in 50 years. Now, in that same 50 years, I've had to eat three times a day, uh, 365 times a year. So which one... Which of those sounds like it's more important? And your numbers are unusually high. The average person will go to their grave never having relied on a gun for defense. And I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. i got lots of guns. I'm always going to have lots of guns. And in the words of Charlton Heston, the government can get them when they pry them through my cold, dead hands. And by the way, they're getting all the bullets first. But the reality is most of us will never rely on our gun for defense. Period. 
we better be prepared if we have to because the con- it's about the consequences, right? Most of us aren't going to drop over debt at 35, but we carry life insurance because the consequences to our wife and our children, if we don't, are severe. Exactly, have- and, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm saying that guns aren't important to your survival plan. I think they are, Just, but, and I myself, uh, I, there's only a, a, one or two hours a day when I don't have one on, strapped on or, uh, or within reach. Uh, I don't even know if I have one or two hours a day like that, uh, but that can't be your whole plan. That's just one tiny part of your plan. And, and let's uh, be fair. Let's be fair. It's not just guns that that's true about. Food can't be your entire plan because illness can kill you. Water can't be your entire plan because you got to eat. Not having a gun shouldn't be your entire plan because somebody may very well come take what you have away from you if you can't defend it. Having a gun can't be your only plan because if you have a gun but nothing to defend, what's the point? It's kind of like, you know, I always say that if you have a gun and you don't have a good supply of ammo, you have a very expensive club. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, if you have a gun and ammo, but no food, um, you have a really uh, deprived nutritional plan. We've got to look across the board, and we have to say to ourselves, what are our five primary needs as human beings? What are the that things that we have to have? Right. And, and number one is food, and, and number two is water. And they're almost you almost want to say there's no order with those two because you got to have both of them, or you're dead. Right. You got to have shelter. You got to have security, and there's your firearms, and there's your non-lethal methods of self-defense as well. And then there's just your brain that's part of that, so that if somebody does breach your defenses, maybe they get nothing, or maybe they get a bunch of cans full of rocks, or you know, there's deception. And it's not all about direct defense. Um, and it, it, if you don't have those things, um, you're going to have a really hard life. Um, if, in fact, it's, it's not about if something happens. It's at any point that any of those tenants fail, you're screwed. So if, if, you're, if you're out in a cold or a very hot environment with no shelter, you know, you might have very, very limited survivability. These are the same things you learn in, in wilderness survival. And then the last one that I've left out so far is energy. Uh, in wilderness survival, they call it fire, right? They say if you've got to have a way to make fire because then you can cook, you can signal, you have light, you have heat. But in our modern world, and I, you know, remember I talk about modern survivalism, fire is really a representation of energy. So when we come to like solidifying our homes, it may not just be fire that provides that energy. It could be solar. It could be a generator. It could be stored fuel. But we've got to lock those five things down. And if we lock them down, then when something fails, we have them to rely on. And the bigger thing, the bigger picture, and this is where you really start to understand the empowerment of being a modern survivalist. You are paying for those five things every day of your life. But most of us are buying them a la carte. We pay for security with taxes for the police force. We pay with food by going to the grocery store once a week. We pay with energy by paying the electric bill. And what I'm saying is all of them, eventually you can get to a point where instead of buying them a la carte, you own the systems that produce them. And when you do that, guess what you are? You're retired early. That's what you are. You have freedom and liberty, and if you do decide to work, you do what you want as you want. And it's very hard to be 100% self-sufficient in the modern world, but it's pretty daggone easy to be 60% self-sufficient by the time we're about 40 
if we focus on it for a good five to ten years of our lives. And I'll just ask anybody out there this question. If you only needed 60% of the income you're generating now, how much less could you work? How much more time could you spend with your family and friends? And how much more freedom and happiness would you have in your life? And the reason that our forefathers picked up the muskets and, 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 and chunked giant lead balls at a vastly superior force was for freedom and liberty, not so that we could be slaves inside a mill or inside a cubicle. Right, and, the, and I want to remind folks, I tell folks this at, at the events, is that the, the myth of April 19th, 1775, is that the, there was a spontaneous uh, uprising of individual folks that just, uh, you know, they heard uh, the alarm bells going and they, they saw the signal fires and they said, something must be going on, let's go and attack the, uh, the British regulars, which is not the case at all. The reason that within 24 hours there were over 40,000 armed men moving onto, uh, onto the roads, and in some cases these guys ran for almost 12 hours so that they could cover the 25 or 30 miles and then they could throw themselves headlong into the battle against the Redcoats is because they had a plan. This was not a spontaneous uh, every-man-for-himself event. The reason it worked is because they had a plan and they had been practicing their plans. That's why this. That's why this was a success. If it would have been a spontaneous thing, it probably would have been a horrible failure. But it was not. It was a very detailed. Uh, I don't want to say detail, but it was a very uh, planned out event. Who was going to warn who? Uh, how many? You know, the, the men where they were going to muster. How they were going to muster. How they were going to get to where they were going to go. Um, <clears throat> how many rounds of ammunition to take with them? How they were going to get food sent to them. It was planned out. And that's why they were successful on April 19th. Now, let's go back over real quick the, uh, the five points, because I want folks to understand that you, start off, you can start off your plan with the, with the five points, and that is water, food, shelter, security, and energy. I've got that right, don't I? You have it absolutely correct. And if you right. think about it, you use those things every day of your life, and the one – it's not a big deal for people here because they think about it first because you're riflemen. But the one that most people don't think about is security. But what you don't realize is you're paying for that security. It's being provided for you. And the minute that that security apparatus fails, um, you're far more exposed than, than, than most Americans realize or even want to think about. Right. You know, whenever the uh, whenever the the hurricane, uh, when Katrina came, <clears throat> and then the follow-on, uh, fake hurricane when Rita came. Uh, it really that was the first time as an adult that I'd ever that I'd ever taken a look at our society. You know, I think that most Americans they look at our society and they think, man, this our society is a sheet of Kevlar stretched tight over a carbon steel framework, and uh, and we're ready to go. You know, we could uh, we can get in it. We can make reentry to Earth. You know, at uh, at the speed of sound. And the reality is, is we've got a a paper thin piece of parchment stretched over carnival glass. The only reason it's all working is because everybody decides they're going to follow the rules and for it to work. If the majority of people decide no longer no longer to follow the rules, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And whenever you had the uh, Katrina itself was a was a disaster. But then you had a follow-on. You had the scare in Houston with Rita. 
Now they they came rushing out of the town and uh, and they found out that nobody could get out of Houston. They just couldn't figure it out. There were people that died out. on I. There were people that died on I forty five. Right. In the, in the evacuation, running away from something that didn't happen. Um, so when people say that Rita wasn't as big a disaster, it wasn't as big, but it was a disaster. First of all, there's people in uh, in western Louisiana that will tell you Rita was a big deal. It just didn't happen to nail Houston. But there's also a, a whole group of elderly people uh, that were on a bus that were part of a retirement home, and they decided to evacuate them. Uh, the bus ran out of uh, gas, and then they didn't have air conditioning, and it's Texas summer. And uh, several of them succumbed to heat exhaustion, heat stroke, and heart attack uh, because they were stranded on the highway. But I also want to point out that it's not always that society decays. When we have these things happen, the the, the problem is we don't know which side of society is going to come out. There are times, like like Rita is a perfect example. I just had Steve Palmer from ShelfReliance.com on my show last week. One of his customers had enough food to supply their family for a year. They were right off of I-45. They went out and they fed people with their stores while they were stuck on the highway. And thousands of people, literally thousands of people over two days, consumed their one-year supply of food because they went out and helped. When the blackout happened in New York City in 2003, I was in Manhattan, right in the middle of downtown. I thought everything was going to go postal. I watched one of the most organized walkouts I've ever seen. Everybody just kind of left. And once I realized nobody was going to go nuts, I sat down and had a beer and watched the exodus because I actually had cash, and I got in touch with the guy at my hotel, and they said, yeah, we have backup power. We're still – we're going to you – know, you're not going to be able to use the Internet or whatever, but there'll be lights and you can get in your room. So I just stayed put. So I've seen that side of society, but we've also seen the L.A. riots during Rodney King. We've seen what happened in New Orleans during Katrina. And then we have to look in, you know, remember back during the World Series, we had that huge earthquake in Los Angeles, and the overpass collapsed on the other one. And what happened was people went out, took ladders off of trucks that were damaged, and went up into the overpass and helped out their fellow man. The problem is when any disaster strikes, we don't know which one of those two we're going to get. But what I'll promise you is the more people that are prepared to deal with the disaster, the more scenarios we're going to get, like the Los Angeles earthquake and what's going on in Japan right now, because there's a culture of preparedness there. Even with the, the, the hoarding, the reason there's no looting is because there's a level of preparedness and a mentality there for it. So I want more of those, and I want less Katrinas, and I want less L.A. riots. And the way we do that is through planning and preparedness. Exactly. Well, the the the... The continuation of, of what I was saying a while ago is that uh, so that nobody got out of the of the of Houston on the first one. Well, now there was another evacuation just a little while later, and they said, "Well, we got it all figured out now. We got it all figured out. We're gonna everybody can get out of the town this time." <clears throat> and uh, so they took off again. Here they come. They took off again, and once again, uh, since nobody had their cars uh, topped off uh, as they were leaving Houston. You know, they sucked everything dry like a horde of locusts, and then their cars died on the freeway. And and once again, no one got out of Houston again. All right, and even though that no one got out of Houston, I'm uh, I'm not quite a, a gas tank away from the big city. But even though nobody got out of town, all everybody was stuck. Uh, and I live on a on a tiny FM, 
there was still car after car after car passing by me. That's with nobody getting out of out of Houston. Now, what if those uh, eight million people had gotten out? Well, it would be it would be a flood. It would be a flood of people. I can guarantee you that that as much if I called the sheriff's department for assistance, as much as they would like to help me, there's no way they could even get here, let alone do anything else. They're they're going to be uh, they're going to be overflowed with uh, with troubles of their own, and that is what brought me to thinking about uh, about the fragility of our society and about what you just mentioned, which is getting a plan, and not just a plan for me. Planning, having a plan for me is good, but the more people that you can get involved in your plan, then the better chance you have of seeing a situation like the one in L.A. or Japan uh, on a local scale than you see with just uh, with folks trying to hunker down inside their houses and survive something as individuals. That's, that's never going to happen. The only way that you're going to survive, especially if it's something uh, really large, is by having a plan that encompasses other individuals in your community. So, so making sure that that you can get as many people uh, involved in thinking this way as possible is very, very important. Absolutely, and I, I think that the isolationist mentality is a fool's errand. And I'll put it to you this way: uh, it, it would be very easy right now to be a hermit. There's plenty of stuff you can get. It, if you can get an internet connection, you can order everything. It'll show up at your house, right? So anybody that wants to could literally live and never physically see another human being right now. And I'll just ask you, if you're out there listening tonight, is that you? When is the last time you saw another human being, other than your, even in your, even your immediate family? And most people would go today. So if you're not going to live an isolationist lifestyle. Well, everything is easy. How the hell do you think you're going to pull it off when everything is hard? It, it's just not realistic. It's not the way that human beings are wired. Now, I think we're living in a very overcompensated community, I guess is the way I would put it today. You mentioned Houston, and you mentioned 8 million people in Houston and the surrounding suburbs. I don't think that's a human way to live. I don't like living in the big city. Uh, even though I'm kind of in the middle of one of the other large cities in Texas now, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, the Metroplex right now myself, but I don't like it. My, you know, I'm a, I'm a few weeks away, literally, from getting the hell out of here. Um, but even when we move out of here, and I'll put it to you this way, I think actually when you move out into smaller communities, you know people better. There's five families that live behind the gate in, in my uh, my mountaintop place up in Arkansas. We know those five families better than I know the people that live on my little cul-de-sac here in Arlington, even though they're a lot closer to me. And it's not for lack of trying. People in the city generally, they, 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 they're more isolationist than people in the country, as crazy as it is. So there's the old saying, no man's an island, and it's a cliche. And most things that are cliches are cliches for a reason, because they're true. And you cannot survive alone. And community needs to be a part of what you're doing. Again, I think I'm a little bit preaching to the choir here, because if you're part of Appleseed, you're part of a community. Right, but 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 we have uh, we certainly have two different missions going on. Not that they don't uh, intersect in places, but we have a couple of different missions going on. What I'm trying to make sure is that uh, that the Appleseed folks understand that you have a duty to yourself, your family, and your community, to your state, and to your nation to be prepared uh, for 
for things that could come head, heading your way. You have a duty to be prepared because you have a duty. The Appleseed folks, uh, I tell you, the uh, I have done uh, who knows how many, over at least over 100 Appleseeds now. And the folks that come to Appleseeds are the cream of the crop of our nation. They're just the, the absolute best folks in the nation. And they have a duty. Each and every one of them has a duty to to make sure that they are they are, have themselves in a uh, a position that they can weather uh, things like uh, not having a job or or here in Texas uh, we we may get an ice storm for three days once every five years and we do make sure that you have uh, enough food to to not have to drive anywhere for those three days three days uh, to make sure that you have put yourself in a place where your question is not how do I survive? How do I get food for my family? But your question is instead, how can I assist my community? How can I be of assistance to my community to make sure that we all pull through this thing together as a group with the, the least impact possible? And that's, what the, that's the, the message I would like to get to the folks tonight. So speaking of that, you, you, know, had, an episode, uh, you had an episode last, uh, well, a couple of days ago, I believe, and you were talking about, uh, uh, you talked a bit about Japan, but the main thing was uh, was looking at Japan, say for a, an example, and saying, "All right, this is uh, this is one out of a uh, hundred over the last uh, twenty years of examples of things that could happen." And if uh, if I'm a person with any brains, I should be asking myself, "What can I do now today to start to to put myself in a position?" Where I could weather something like this. So how how can folks get started? What can they do? I, I think you're getting to a very broad subject, and we we need to kind of drill down into um, some fundamental realities. And that is that when people think of survivalism, they start to think about this real Hollywoodized version of it. And to give you an example of of what proper survivalism is, is it's kind of boring when a disaster happens, unless you're in the middle of it. And what I mean by that is, I had some people recently contact me from the Discovery Channel. And they're doing this new, you know, because everybody's getting into this now because it's a big hot topic. And they, they wanted to, like, put survivalists into these test scenarios. And uh, basically I decided I couldn't consult with them on it. I couldn't work with them on it because they were trying to do things that just didn't make sense. What I was trying right. to get across to them is a person that's properly prepared, if you showed what they would be doing during a disaster, they'd be sitting around their dinner table as long as their house wasn't blown down. Uh, having dinner, discussing what they were going to do and how they were going to help other people. It would look awful boring because the entire point is to not be part of the disaster. Right. And I think that's something that we need to understand. That's what your goal is. Your goal is not to have a great survival story when a disaster hits. It's to just kind of like go, damn, I feel really bad for those people out there. I wonder if there's anything you can do to help them. And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. The other thing you were hitting on, and I think this is the big thing that people need to take away from tonight, probably the most important thing you can take away, is how rights run concurrent with responsibility. So I'm sure there's not a person on this this call tonight, on this podcast tonight, that's not a supporter of the Second Amendment. You just wouldn't show up right? Appleseed, Rifleman Radio if you didn't believe in the Second Amendment. So we all agree that we have a fundamental right to self-defense. That's what the Second Amendment is really about. It's not, well, I can go shoot a duck, 
right? It's so I can defend myself, my community, and my home. Well, if that's my right, then what goes with that right? Responsibility. I have a responsibility to be able to stand up and defend myself, my family, my community, and my home. So I need to not just be armed, I need to be trained. I need to be mentally, spiritually, and physically prepared to do what's necessary should that come. And I also have, if I'm going to own a firearm, I don't think anybody would disagree with me, I have a responsibility to make sure that it's stored securely and safely, either on my person or locked up somewhere. And either one's fine, but I'm not going to store my rifle fully loaded leaning on a tree in my front yard. That would be irresponsible. It has nothing to do with the fact that I have a right to have the firearm. The right itself requires the responsibility. So other rights that we have, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, straight out of our, uh, out of our uh, declaration, right? We have, the, we have these rights. Well, then we have a responsibility to make sure that we can secure those rights for ourselves and to quote the founders, our posterity. And that means that if we're going to be having life, then we have a responsibility to ensure that the very things we need so that we can preserve our life, we have. So when there are good times, we store up the food, we store up the water. And if you went to somebody back in 1875 and said, make sure you're prepared in case it's a long, cold winter or that there is a, uh, there's a failed harvest, they would have looked at, like, at you like you were from the planet Melnac. Exactly. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Of course I'm prepared for that. But today it's gotten so easy to be lazy and slothful that we sit around and we talk about our rights and we spend absolutely no time talking about what are our responsibilities that go along with that right. And I will tell you this, folks, for every single right you have, and I'm not here to say there's a single right I want to take from you, because I believe only God can do that, but for every single right you have, it's not a responsibility. There is a plethora of responsibility that goes concurrent with that right. And if you want your right, you have to stand up with the concurrent responsibilities to preserve those rights, because history has shown us the day you stop, someone will take them away from you. Or circumstances, in the case of disaster, will take them away from you. So you can stand up to the famine and say, I have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the famine does not give a shit that you have a right to life, you will starve, unless you are prepared. And that's as blunt and direct as I can be with that. Well, that's that's exactly right, and and you're exactly right with the uh, with the connection to our responsibilities, to our liberties, to our freedoms. <clears throat> you know, people nowadays have gotten they've gotten it a bit reversed. They're thinking that they have uh, everyone has individual freedoms and liberties, but that's not what the founders put out. The founders put out <clears throat> that we have collective liberties, collective freedoms, and we have individual responsibilities to those. We have an individual responsibility to preserving those. We have collective rights, collective freedoms, and now that will translate to individual freedoms for you as a person. But it's not that I have the right to do whatever I want. It's I have the right or I have the responsibility to preserve the rights and freedoms that belong to all of us. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the about the firearms and stuff. Whenever I whenever I'm giving uh, instruction on firearms, and uh, I, I do this more whenever I'm doing uh, it, personal uh, instruction, 
but even with the with the instructors, I tell them, I go, look, uh, all of them have. Uh, uh, I tell all the guys that they're going to need to carry uh, first aid equipment for gunshot wounds. If you carry a firearm, then you have a responsibility to carry the stuff that you need to fix whatever you break. Uh, you know, if you if you shoot somebody, then I think that you have a responsibility. If they're not dead, then you you have a responsibility to take care of them. Uh, or if somebody gets shot to accidentally, you have a responsibility to take care of them uh, that goes along with having the responsibility to have the firearm. I mean, you have there's a lot of responsibilities that go with your freedoms and your rights, and those Even have to be considered. From a self-preservation standpoint, I want you to think about this, okay? You get your, your training, your, your, your state-level training, if your state has a concealed carry permit thing that requires training, which is woefully inadequate, and then you go get additional training, and you've got your gun, and you've got your forty five or your Glock 19 or whatever strapped to the center of your back, and you're walking around like that, and you're prepared mentally, spiritually, emotionally. One thing a lot of people never think about from that day forward, from that second forward, every conflict you're ever in is going to be a conflict involving a firearm because you brought one. That's right. Guys, really think about what that means. So that means the unarmed guy that gets in a barroom brawl with you is now involved in a conflict that involves a firearm. That firearm, even if you don't intend to draw it, could end up in his hands or somebody else's hands. If you draw it in a legitimate way to defend yourself, a third-party observer that did not witness the entire confrontation may see you as the aggressor and put the sights on you and blow your brains out, not because he thought, not because you're a bad guy, because he thought you were a bad guy. There is so much responsibility with being armed. So when it comes down to, you know, do you carry equipment for first aid and you have training for first aid? Well, the training may not help, but the equipment itself Somebody may be there that knows how to save you because you got shot in that confrontation. Uh, even if you took the bad guy out, you could have still been wounded. And maybe they can help you because you are carrying that equipment. When I was in the military, I know you're in the military as well, you know, we carried a first aid kit. Well, who was that first aid kit for? It wasn't yeah. for your buddy. It was for you. No. It was so no, you know, you're never supposed you were to laying use, on the ground. You, you never use it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, I, I understand completely because I bought uh, – after I told you, after I had my uh, my epiphany on uh, society, I ended up buying, uh, well, probably close to $5,000 worth of, uh, and it would have been much more than that had I paid uh, regular prices for it. But uh, I bought that amount of medical gear, and it wasn't just for me. I mean, I put together uh, kits, huge kits, for the for my church and for my community because what I figured is that uh, I'm not a... I'm not a doctor, but, you know, there are doctors all throughout the community. There are even veterinarians. But if they don't have something to work with, then uh, then they're just like you. They're just like anybody else. So I bought uh, tons of gear so that if there is a, uh, a situation that's going to require uh, medical uh, planning or medical uh, gear, at least we have the gear. You know, at least if you, if you only have a veterinarian, that person still knows how to uh, – how to sew up wounds, how to clean wounds, how to do etc. But without the gear, they're going to be lost with that. And I was listening to one of your shows the other day. This was with, uh, uh, let's see, uh, I'm looking at it. Uh, Steve, not not Steve Palmer, Frank Sharp. And 
And he brought up, and you you were both talking about this, and you mentioned it too, and I've heard you say it before too, is that uh, that whenever you carry a firearm, you have to carry a non-lethal form of defense also. You need to carry pepper spray or something like that, because if you don't, then every uh, – let's see, how did you put it? You had the hammer and nail analogy. Yeah, if if you only have a hammer, then every single problem you'll ever encounter looks like a nail. And you've got to have another option because they're let – me, let me put it in the best-case scenario. You're in a conflict. You legitimately fear for your safety. You draw your weapon. You pull your weapon. You fire your weapon. You kill the adversary. The police show up and write the report and go, justified. The governor of the state hands you a state-level medal, the best result you could have expected – and you're still going to live the rest of your life wondering, did I really need to take that life? That's and right. that's the best result you can hope for. Real-world example of this, I was walking up at my place in Arkansas, and we went down the road instead of up the road, and this gentleman down the road from me has a pit bull that he really needs to secure because this dog is a little bit aggressive. And with a pit bull, I'm not taking any chances. You're, the clamp is not going on the arm. Uh, I'm not getting tore up. This dog's going in a hole in the ground before it gets a hold of me and definitely before she gets a hold of my wife. Uh, but I'm carrying a 9mm, and I'm carrying a, a, a can of uh, Cold Steel Inferno pepper spray. The dog comes out. She gets really low to the ground the way they do. She is clearly in a, clearly in a posture that's threatening. Um, hands, one hand's on the, the handgun, but the other handgun's on the spray. And there's a certain level of confidence there that keeps the dog at bay. She takes one more inch forward, she gets one little shot of pepper spray in the nose, and off she goes and decides that this is not really a confrontation she wants to be in. So I had a conversation with the gentleman saying, you know, I'm sorry about this, but I hit your dog with a little bit of pepper spray because she was threatening to bite me. That was a much easier conversation than here's your dog, I shot it in the head. And yeah, that's, 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 hard. Hard. that's hard on a neighbor. Right, right. And that's really hard on a, a new neighbor's relationship. And even if the guy really in his heart knows it's his fault for letting that dog out like that, it's still never going to be right. Well, that's a dog. What if it's a person? You've got to right. have that non-lethal means of defense. And pepper spray, I hear people all the time, but I know I heard about this guy somewhere that, you know, he can eat it, or the guy sprayed it and the guy kept coming. Well, then you shoot him, but you try first. And I also want you to understand that as a private citizen – not engaged in law enforcement or military activities, your goal from pepper spray is entirely different than law enforcement or the military community. The law enforcement officer wants to subdue the offender so they can put handcuffs on him and take him to jail. You want to disrupt the offense so that you can extract yourself from the situation. So you don't need a level of control that Officer Tom needs. You need to get the hell out of there. And... I, I think there's a, a part of bravado in males that say, I'm going to stand and fight. But your job is not always to stand and fight. What your job is is to protect those around you. And you might be standing like I was between the threat even though was, and your spouse. Once you're dead or once you're injured, you can't do your job of protecting them. So when it comes to survival at that point, what you want to do is get the hell out. If you ever pull the trigger on another living human being and take their life, it better have damn well been your last choice. 
There was no other option. And if it comes to that, it comes to that. And we need, I, you know, again, I don't want to like belittle this. We need to be prepared for that, but we sure as hell don't need to anticipate it with any kind of happiness. Because I'm telling you, it will stick with you, even when you're right, even when there's nothing else you could do, it would stick. It'll stick with you. So if there's one percent of an opportunity to avoid it and you don't take it, it's really going to stick with you. And exactly. I can tell you from, from uncles and grandparents that went through war where they had no other choice, it sticks with you. And when you're a 98-year-old man and you can't remember that your wife died a year ago, you still remember killing a man on a beach 65 years ago. So if right. that man remembers it, you damn well are if you don't give yourself other options. Well, yeah, you have to have other options. And you have to understand what your responsibilities are and because your responsibility is not to get into a fight. Your responsibility is to provide one of the five tenants for your uh, for your the people that you're responsible for. And you know, we've got a uh, we have a uh, a self-defense program, uh, a school that we're opening up now, and one of our tenants is uh is that we're going to show you. We're not going to show you how to be an operator. Number one, I don't care if you work every single uh, weekend of your life from from now on. If you're a, a civilian, you're not. You're never going to be an operator, and you're never going to have the needs or the reason to be that. What we're showing you is if you come up to your house and uh, you and your wife pull up to your house and your front door is busted open or something, you don't go in there. You pull out and you call the police. That's their responsibility. If you're in your home and you hear the front door break open or a window break open, you grab your wife and your gear and you go out the window. You get away from there. What we're showing you is that uh, if you're in your home and you are, uh, you hear the same thing, the window break or the door break, or you know that somebody's in the house with you, but your kids are down the hallway from you, we're going to show you the best possible chances you have to survive in those situations. The guy I'm working with is uh he was a head of SWAT for uh, a uh, a large city <clears throat> and uh, the way he explained it he said, "Look, we got uh, we have guys that train 7 days a week on this." And they go into a house and they are covered with uh with 30 pounds of armor and there are six guys touching shoulder to shoulder. They have automatic weapons. They have uh, non-stop training and they still get shot. They still get killed. Uh, so, uh, for you to think that you're going to uh, to be aggressive in these situations is ridiculous. You have a responsibility to not, in every chance that you have, uh, to to select either fighting or getting away. You need to select getting away. Uh, but back to uh, I know earlier whenever I was when I asked you the was asking the question, it did sound like a really uh, broad subject. But let me just come straight to your your podcast from two days ago because that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is uh, you had the – and you've got a list. I'm going to read straight off the list of your podcast. And, guys, uh, the survivalpodcast.com, one hour a day, uh, you're going to get uh, an hour's worth of information every day that is going to help you uh, in figuring out your plan and figuring out what you need to do. And from a couple of days ago – your list of points here, the first one was, why now is not the time to panic but to plan? Absolutely, and I think that, I mean, that's something that we we all need to, to realize, that it's almost always the case that that's what we need to be doing, even if we're in the middle of a disaster. Panic can get you killed. I mean, 
I was talking to you over the weekend while I was up in Arkansas about this, and I think that there is um, there's a piece inside all of us that harkens back to the days when we didn't walk around in complete total normalcy bias because uh, there wasn't all this great modern society to protect us. And if you took the wrong walk down the wrong you know path and you went a little bit too far into the dark away from your group, a lion or a bear or something came out and hit you. And there was no political correctness to tell the lion he was wrong. He just ate you. So inside human beings is an innate capacity to sense danger. And if you've ever been in combat, if you've ever hunted dangerous game, in fact, even if you've ever hunted, hunted non-dangerous game, especially like as an archer where you're closer, there's a certain innate feeling. And I can't explain to you scientifically how it works, but I'm going to tell you flat out. When you're standing in a swamp thicket, and you can only see five feet in front of you, and there's a boar with a four-inch tusk that wants to open up your legs 25 feet away that hasn't made a sound, you can't smell him, you can't hear him, you can't see him, you know he's there. You absolutely know he's there. And when there's a deer 25 yards away in a thicket that you're the predator of this time, you know he's there. When the enemy's there, you know he's there. And this exists in us. And because we've lost touch with it, our natural reaction, when anything breaches it and those hackles go up on your neck, people think, run. Let me ask you this. If the lion is 25 feet away in the reeds and you sense him and you run, what happens to you? That's the end of you. You're done, right? Because you can't run faster and he's going to kill you and he's going to drag you away and your village is going to listen to you get eaten in the woods because they're not going in there in the dark because they're smarter than that and they know it's too late for you. (laughs) Right? Well, the same thing happens in a disaster. If you feel that go up and you don't come in touch with it and think, okay, now what do I do to compensate effectively for my weaknesses, you run and the lion gets you. And that's what happens. And the more people die running away from disasters by things that are not directly related to the disaster than a disaster itself. They die when the mob flips out and they get trampled to death. They die of starvation. They die of, you know... You look at Haiti. That that country's barely recovered from its earthquake over a year ago. And what are people dying up there more than anything else? Diarrhea. Right. Why they don't have clean water? Because the knee jerk reaction is to just do what you've always done. And, and, and you know that country I probably shouldn't even have brought up because they are so impoverished. It's not even fair to point out that they weren't prepared. But the arrogance is to believe that it can't happen to us. Right, you can't run talking, away and leave everything behind, you know? Right, we were talking about, I was asking you, you know, I've, like I said, I've done a lot of apple seeds. And starting about uh, oh, a year and a half, two years ago, you know, people always come up to you afterwards and say, uh, you know, what can I do? Uh, how can I How can I help? What What part can I play in this? And we try and get them to become members of the program, become involved in apple seed, become instructors, spread the word, seven step. Uh, but I started and I always ask folks, because promotions is one of my things, I always ask folks, how did you hear about Appleseed? And what made you finally flip the switch to come? And I started getting some answers that kind of perplexed me uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, and people would say, well, I, something's coming. Uh, I feel something is coming. And at first I, I, I kind of I kind of laughed it off because I thought, well, <laughs> What what do you what do you think is coming, or what do you feel is coming? You know, or do you do you feel like the government is going to, is coming after us, or that, that that aliens are coming, or a comet? What do you what do you feel is coming? And the the answer was always I don't know. 
but but I know something is coming. And I've gotten that more and more and more and and you and I spoke about that and you said that that's uh and you you hit on that a little bit earlier when you were talking about folks getting the uh getting anxiety and knowing that things aren't right and then they're starting to uh, they're starting to feel like they well, not panicking, but uh, I think a lot of people are on the verge of panicking. I think it's that they're still exposed. If if you just pull your head out of the sand for 15 minutes and you take two steps back from society and you pull yourself out of your cubicle or your place at the mill or wherever it is and your place at your family table and the routine that you've gotten into that blinds you to everything, and you pull yourself out of that normalcy bias and you look at the world, you go, Okay, well, we're running out of water for agriculture. Now, I want to understand when I say when you're running out of water, you're not running out of water. We're not going to run out of water. We turn the faucet on, the water doesn't come out for most of us anyway. But the, the, the giant underwater sea that is the Ogala Aquifer is beginning to start to dry up, so we can't grow food. Uh, we look at what, what, medic, you know, what scientists are doing with genetically modifying our crops, and then they genetically modify the crop. And let's just say that that doesn't even cause a problem, which we scientifically we, we've already studied this and we know it does. And we but know it's going to. It, we, and we know it is, right? But even if it didn't, why are we genetically modifying the corn so we can spray it with a herbicide so then we eat the herbicide? Well, we know that's bad. Uh, we look at our government and their incompetence and their propensity to overspend. We see a new Republican government come in that says we're going to fix this. They talk about cutting $100 billion when we're trillions of dollars in deficit. And we know they can't fix that. And when you start to pull back, and these are just a few of the things that are going on. And then on top of this, something like a Japan event happens, or a Chilean earthquake, or Christchurch, New Zealand's earthquake, or Haiti's earthquake happens on top of it. All of a sudden, you realize something. I'm not as safe as they've told me. I'm human. I'm mortal. I could die. And that's bad enough. But that doesn't re- – you know what most people – when they, hear, when they feel that way, they go, well, of course I can. I'm going to die someday anyway. You know, in fact, I sold life insurance for like 15 and a half minutes of my life because I hated it. But one of the things that we learned was when you talk to somebody and they say, well, if I die, you correct them and say, no, when you die. Right? Because I don't know anybody that's, that's 125 years old right now. So eventually we all die. Um, but, so you accept that. But then you start thinking, well, I could be injured, and that – that hurts a little bit more. It chinks the armor a little bit more. Then you look to your mother or your daughter or your brother or your sister or your son or your husband or your wife and your cousins, and you think they could be hurt, injured, or killed. And all of a sudden, you realize that this bubble that you've put around yourself is absolutely nothing but a phantom. And those same hackles that that boar or that lion may go up on your neck go up. But because you're not in the jungle and you don't understand that it's a lion or you're not in the swamp and you don't understand that it's a boar and because you become detached from that basic human survival instinct, when you feel it, you don't like it and you don't know what it is and you don't understand it and you just feel something's coming. And next thing you know, you've got the dial turned to somebody like Alex Jones who's feeding your fear. And the guy, and I don't want to beat this guy up too bad. He does a lot of good, but he also feeds the fear. And instead of empowering the individual. And when that fear gets fed, then it's just something's coming, I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to hunker down. And that's, that's running from the lion. And that's when the lion gets you from behind, 
sticks out that claw, sinks it into your Achilles tendon, pulls you in, snaps your neck, and eats you because you ran. When you stand, you might not always beat the lion. We're mortal. We're human. Sometimes the lion wins. But you are a lot more likely to fend off the lion by standing and fighting and this is a philosophical concept. Not a, just like we talked about, you know, with guns earlier. You don't always fight the battle, but you you face the battle as a warrior. Sometimes the warrior knows to back out, but you don't run away. Backing out, and running away are different. And most people today that are getting this feeling, they're running away from a lion. And my fear is if they run long enough and fast enough, they're going to end up with a snap neck and dead on the plains. And I know that's getting metaphorical, but that's what I feel happens to people when they let that fear be fed. It's like feeding oxygen into a fire. It burns hotter and hotter and hotter. But eventually, if you don't add more fuel, it's going to burn out. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, we've brought, we have, uh, listen, there, there's no reason to even start counting off the different things that could happen because we've already talked about that, about, uh, about what you need to start preparing for. And that's the most obvious to the least, I mean, to the uh, uh, the most likely, to the least likely, uh, that's occurring. And uh, I wanted to bring you back to another of the questions that you were asking on your podcast the other day, and that's why 30 days is the absolute minimum amount of food you should have on hand. Because, uh, you know what, in most instances you probably won't even need 30 days, and that way you can help other people. That That's the simple explanation. Um, the bigger explanation is, that you will not feel that you're not going to be able to feed your children tomorrow, so you're not going to do the stupid stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, and I also want to point out that I think 30 days is a great goal, and the reason I call it an absolute minimum is because it's an absolute minimum. So, for instance, you would probably tell a person that owns a firearm that their absolute minimum level of training should be how it works, how to maintain it, how not to blow their own brains out someone they care about's brains out and how to be safe with that firearm. Exactly. So that's their minimum that's their minimum, right? Should that be where they stop? No. Or should they go oh, no. further from there, right? They absolutely should go further. But that's before you bring that gun in your home, because it can cost a life, you need to have at least the ability to not shoot yourself or someone else and to understand how it works. I mean that makes perfect sense. Well you know you need to feed yourself and your family. You know you need to do this. So to take the approach that most people take with their car, which is we fill it up for a week with something that's not an inconvenience because I can't get to work, but my family will literally starve because I've only got three or four days worth of food in the home, it, to me it just doesn't make any sense at all. So 30 days to me in the firearms world is like, the basic don't blow your foot off, don't kill your, your wife by accident, don't kill your brother, your sister, your mother with the gun because you're stupid and you don't know how it works, you don't know what a safety is, and you don't know not to load it in the home, you don't know the rules of not pointing it at anything you don't intend to destroy, you don't know the rules about a backstop, that's the minimum. And that's why right. I see that 30 food supply. But I want you to be looking towards six months. And if you're really serious, I want you to be looking towards a year, if that makes sense. Well, if you're if you're living the survival or prepping lifestyle, and that's a goal you should be trying to achieve. We tell folks all the time now, we want you to live the apple seed lifestyle, that this is not a hobby, this is a lifestyle. This is a way that you need to be thinking about every single day how you can further this. And it's the same thing 
with prepping. And whenever you get ready to to start, and you should be starting today. Once you once you hear Jack and I talking about this, you should be saying, "All right, now my now I have two options. One, I can put my head back in the sand, or I can get back on the couch. I can turn that thirty minute sitcom back on, so that uh, I can live my life as a whole series of thirty minute sitcoms, where I have a uh, I have a, a program where." You have something fun that's going on, and they introduce something, some kind of dramatic event, and it's resolved by the end of the 30 minutes, and life is good again. And you can just live your life by going from episode to episode of that. Or you can say, you know what, now, now that I've heard this, I have a responsibility to, to do the things that they're saying I need to do. And the way you, you get started off with that is you take a look at what you eat for seven days. Just write down the things you eat. Here's what I ate. I ate a can of soup. Uh, I ate uh, a sandwich for lunch, and I ate uh, whatever for dinner. And that was my first day. And you go through seven days of that. At the end of those seven days, you write down the amount of food it takes for you, for you, yourself, your individual, to to go for these seven days. You multiply that by four, and then you start getting the extra things that you actually eat. A lot of people will go to the store, and they'll buy a, a huge sack of beans and a huge sack of rice, or something else, they say, okay, now I'm good to go. But is that what you normally eat? You need to be buying what you normally eat, and you need to figure out uh, how to store it and how to cook it, how to prepare it. But make sure that you are, and you're not going to be buying this uh, all at one time. If you like uh, Campbell's uh, bean and bacon soup and you eat two cans a week, then uh, when you go to the store next time, you buy four cans. And then... uh, the next time you go to the store, you buy another four cans so that eventually you have 30 days' uh, supply of your bean and bacon soup saved up along with uh, all of the rest of the stuff that you're getting. And you do the same thing for each member of your household so that you have the 30 days of food. And if you're living a survival lifestyle, then you don't stop at 30 days. The same way at apple seed, we don't stop. If we, get, uh, if we do 1,000 apple seeds this year, then we don't stop and say, all right, we've done it. We've completed our goal. Uh, we set another goal of 2000 for next year. It's the same thing with your food storage. Once you've got your 30 you know, days set up, you don't stop. Exactly. And if I could expand on that, my goal with the Survival Podcast, and it, it, it's a deep topic, and it's even as long as a two-hour show is, we're not going to get to all of it tonight, but my goal from the beginning was to present this to people in a way that if they actually took the time to absorb it, take it in, learn it, feel it, and accept the mistakes that – that all of us make in our lives and, and realize there is a way to correct them, that in the end you would just look at it and go, well, well I'd have to be stupid not to do this. Not just because something would go wrong. Right? I don't get on the air every day and go, tomorrow you could have your house exploded by a tornado or you know, the New World Order could come get you with some black helicopters, get your, your foil hat on tight. My point is, if you live this lifestyle and nothing ever happens to you, you're going to have a more fulfilling, more abundant life with greater freedom and liberty. And if I offer you that and you don't want it, I, 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 don't, I guess I'm talking to the wrong person. I mean, that's the way I honestly look at this. If I was running up a hill, and at the top of that hill there was gold, right? And I mean like buttloads of gold, more gold than I could ever carry. And I said to you, Scout, dude, there's gold up there. You don't even have to mine. You have to go pick it up. I can only carry, like, you know, 100 pounds down at a time. You can have some, too. Come on up there and get it with me. 
And you said, I don't know. I don't really have time. I said, see ya, right? And that's my approach to survivalism, right? What I have is pure gold. It's a better way to live. It's freedom from debt. It's freedom from tyranny. The, the, the real thing that's, that's happened to me over the years as I've learned this is I, you know, at one time I was a Republican because I believed the Republican marketing, and then I figured out the Republican Party didn't actually do what the Republican Party marketed. So I looked at the Democratic Party, and they want my guns, they want my freedom, they want my money. I can't live with that. So I found this thing called libertarianism. And then I found out that it doesn't really work really well at the ballot box. And then I looked at my founders, and I looked at how they set up America. And they didn't set up America to go out like we have now and try to tell everybody else how to live. They set up America as the greatest place in the world to live and thought if our people will just live this way in this great republic we've established for them, the rest of the world will look at that and go, gee, that's a great idea. Maybe we should do it too. And we would have the big stick in case somebody came and took it away, tried to take it away from us, but we wouldn't go out and beat people with it. We'd just stand here and demonstrate the way to live. So I decided to live a liberty-oriented lifestyle in the middle of a, of a nation that's forgotten what that's all about. And my belief is that if enough of us do that, we don't have to go out and tell everybody else what to do. We just need to demonstrate what the effects are. Because what I've found, now that all these disasters are starting to pop up, like Japan, people that, you know, there's old saying the prophet has no honor in his own country. 20,000 people a day listen to me. Some of my best friends think I'm nuts. Right? So when you're wondering why your family won't listen to you, because they're not going to. But all of a sudden they're turning to me going, what do I do? And they want to know about storing food, storing water. I'm like, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's put your household in order. Let's put your life in order. But I'm worried about, no, stop, stop. You can't stand up to disaster if your life itself is a disaster. Exactly. Put your life in order. And you can put your life in order. All of the excuses about how it's somebody else's fault, you're taxed too much, somebody else is taxed too little, some ass clown in Washington is doing something to take away, it's all true, but tough crap. That's the way that it is. It's up to you to say, okay, fine, there's a certain amount of this system that I have to deal with, and I have to live within. And it's really not the system, it's the systems. Because there's multiple systems of imprisonment. But you use those systems. Instead of being controlled by them, understand them, work within them, and create independence from them. And then it doesn't matter if there ever is a disaster or not. If there is a disaster, like I said, what I told Discovery, truly prepared people and say, what would they do in a disaster? It would be the most boring programming you would ever create. Because everybody would be starving and they would have food. Because if somebody came to take what they have, they would be able to defend themselves and they would have a plan for that. Because if the disaster was too much to shelter in place, they would get up and leave. It would be completely boring. But their life is extremely fulfilling. Right. And, and that's what this is really about. It's about the lifestyle now. Not just if, you know, remember Y2K? Everybody freaked out. You know, what if, what if, and what people ended up with was full garages of stuff. I, t I talked about it the other day, a guy I talked to about buying his generator, and I'm like, oh, you're selling a generator. What about, you're like, do you have any gas cans or anything like that? Cause you, you know, you have those. We'll take those off your hands, too. And he goes, gas cans? And I asked, I said, what did you think you were going to run this on, jelly beans? You know, <laughs> and, 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 but those people that were the best prospects to live a preparedness lifestyle because they prepared for an event, you can't, 10 years later, 
If you talk to that guy and say, hey, you know, look what's going on in Japan. Look at the, the U.S. deficit. Look at the economy. And he says, no, I already did that. And, you know, my, my whole family still thinks I'm crazy Uncle Ray. And he won't do the things he knows he's supposed to do. My, my plan, or really my methodology that you create your own plan with, is a better way to put it, is designed so that your life is better now and tomorrow and the next day and next year and when you retire. And hopefully you're retiring at like 50 or 55 instead of 72 when the TV promises you, you and your wife will be walking down the beach in great shape, looking wonderful with your pants rolled up carrying your shoes because the reality is most people are either dead, dead broke, or sick by the time that day comes. And that's right. too long to wait for me. Right, and you have, you know, I've, I, I told you, I get, uh, I get asked the questions a lot too now over the last couple of years, more and more, of, and I told you, I think that a lot of people, a lot of the local people and stuff, don't really understand exactly what I'm doing with Appleseed, even though I spent uh, thousands of dollars uh, trying to uh, uh, to make it known and and spent and handed out thousands of flyers and and you name it. <clears throat> I think a lot of people still think I'm running some type of a survival uh, organization here. And uh, my wife gets asked all the time uh, questions of, you know, what, uh, you know, what, does, uh, what does your husband think we should do about this? Or what do you think we should do about uh, this? And, <clears throat> and I'm starting to talk to more and more people about it. At first, uh, especially the last couple of years, uh, before prior to this and even now sometimes if you if you start talking to people uh about uh, survival or prepping you immediately get painted with a brush of uh that you're kind of wacko which i've never really understood because if you are willing to uh buy a homeowner's policy for your home if you're willing to carry fire insurance for your home if you're willing to have car insurance if you're willing to carry a spare tire in your car or a fire extinguisher in your car, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have the logical follow-on, which is making sure that you are prepared uh, in the event uh, of something uh, as simple as ice on the highway or losing your job? Why wouldn't you do that? <clears throat> and you're going to feel a lot better about yourself when you start doing this. The same way that people, I, I know people that uh, that when they don't have health insurance for whatever reason they've lost their job etc that's all they can think about i don't have it i don't have an insurance policy covering me now what if something happens and that's and they're they're completely uh consumed with anxiety over that this is the same thing if i didn't have some type of a plan for the for the care for the welfare of my family i think i would feel the same way and i think that the minute you do start preparing yourself and just like you said this isn't this this preparation isn't for the end of the world it's for you to feel uh for you to to be doing things and you have the tagline for your show which is or when times get bad or even if they don't because even if they don't you're still doing the right thing you're still making your situation better with the ideology of living a lifestyle of preparing and again, I, 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 it, it dumbfounds me that anybody's even resistant to that message. I don't, I don't even understand it. What I find is actually there's very few people 
that I talk to about it that are resistant. Um, when I talk to somebody about it, they generally really quickly um, actually start to understand what I'm talking about. And is it because I'm a master communicator? No. I'll tell you what it is. One thing you've probably heard in my, my voice tonight is passion. And passion only comes from one thing, belief. I absolutely believe in everything I teach because I've lived my life this way and I know that it works. And the way that you get somebody to buy into what you're doing is you believe in it more than anything else in the world. And if you believe that, you can transfer that belief. Now, again, the closer the person is to you, the harder this is, right? Because even my own dad is not big on this. Actually, I think he's starting to come around because I sent him a bunch of the shows. And when he's listening to the show, it's not like I'm really his kid, right? It's like I'm some guy on the radio so he can listen to me. But when I talk to him on the phone, it's the risk resistance is still there. Uh, for the, those of you trying to get your parents on board with this, there, there's something uh, Dave Ramsey calls powdered butt syndrome. Once you powder somebody's butt, you don't listen to them, their advice on money and life. And there's some of that. But the, but the bigger thing is uh, when you do really believe it because you're living it, people will listen to you. People will listen because you're an example. So if you came to my house, all the things that I teach you are uh, visible. right? You can see that I'm living the way that I talk about. My move is part of living what I talk about. That doesn't mean you should move out into a rural community like I am. It means that if that's what you want, you should figure out how to do it. If you like it in suburbia or you like urban homesteading, go nuts with it. That's your thing. But my biggest thing is figure out what you want from your life and live it under your terms. And if you're not going to, then all of the talk about rights, what, what good is it? What's the point? What's the point of living in the country that's supposed to be anyway, the freest nation on the planet, if you're not going to exercise the freedom? And the freedom leads to preparedness. And the preparedness leads to freedom. There are two paths that go to the same point. And I don't understand how we've lost that other than corporations, marketing, advertising, and government have done a great job of convincing us that it's not the truth. But there's the funny thing about the truth. And there's the funny thing about facts. It's very difficult to argue with the truth and facts. It's very difficult. It's almost impossible because the facts don't change and the truth doesn't change. And eventually, the truth does set you free if you'll accept it. And the truth is each person on this call tonight or listening to this tomorrow or the next day out of the archives has power over your own life. And with that power comes the responsibility to ensure it for yourself, your children, your wife, your family. You have that responsibility that goes along with it. But the sad thing is for most people, not only are they not doing it for the people they care about, they're not even doing it for themselves. And every bit of preparedness is about providing that for yourself. And I, I really can't say anything more about the why behind preparedness than that. If you won't do it for yourself and you won't do it for those who you care about and love, if you won't do it for your own freedom, then you're not ready yet. And go back, go back to being a number. And when you're ready for liberty, claim it for yourself. Right. Listen, we've got uh, got about 18 minutes or so. I want to tell folks, if you'd like to call in, if you want to have some questions uh, for Jack while he's on the show, the number is 347-308-8790. We'll probably have a time to take a couple of questions uh, near the end of the show. Uh, I've had some people asking me about uh, about 
why we're doing this subject, and we talked about that uh, earlier on in the show, and that is that you have a responsibility to yourself, your family, and your community uh, to be in a position where you're not uh, running around making bad decisions, where you are able to provide support to yourself, your family, and your community. You know, one of the things that you find out when you start begin, when you begin with the Apple Seed Project, when you first start out, you're thinking, okay, this is a shooting organization. You know, right? We're we are we're all about shooting. We're all about rifle marksmanship. If you stay around a little bit longer as an instructor, you go, you know what? I, I realize now that this isn't really about the shooting. This is this is about the heritage and the history. And if you manage to get past all of the uh, all of the the petty stuff or the, the the stuff that goes along with being in a volunteer organization, and you stick around long enough as an instructor, you're going to realize finally the the complete truth, and that is being in this organization is about being the best person you can be. It's about being the absolute best person you can be, and that's that's more than shooting. That's more than history and heritage. That's a lot of stuff. And tonight's message is part of that, is part of talking about how you can become the best person you can be. And I know a lot of people want to know why I have the show listed under politics and conservative, because uh, uh, Appleseed is apolitical. And I can tell you I myself am apolitical as far as uh, I don't, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a conservative. I mean, I'm not a... Uh, a Republican or a Democrat, and uh, I think that uh, you'd find the same kind of thing out if, if you asked Jack the same thing. Uh, but it was the only place I could list it. They don't give you a whole lot of options as far as where you can list this. It's not supernatural. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, love and dating and stuff like that. I, I had to list it under what they would what they gave me. <clears throat> sure. So if hey, you guys want to call real in, real quick, real yeah. quick, I want to make sure I get something out because I know you're. Your community is going to love this if you get a chance to, to to watch it. And you made me think of it earlier, and I just didn't bring it up, and I don't want to let the call go without recommending this to people. There is an HBO miniseries that was uh, purchased on DVD for me this Christmas by my family that I think every member uh, of Appleseed should watch. It's called John Adams, and it's about oh, the yeah. founding of our country. And the first, the whole thing's great, but the first two episodes, I think that our, our congressman and our president – and our justices once a year should have to watch to understand how much went into the founding of this country. And there's a quote from Adams that I'd like to uh, read for everybody there uh, right now to understand what we're talking about really preserving and what one of the people that gave so much of his life to give it to us had to say about it. And that's posterity. You will never know how much it cost the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. And you know, uh, there's a responsibility that goes with that. And I hope that everybody really understands that preparedness and that responsibility go hand in hand. Yeah, that quote is something that we use at almost every event because that is the essence of what we're doing. And and what we what we at Appleseed do is, uh, and uh, hopefully – the folks that are all doing it understand we're not doing the stuff at Appleseed uh, in order to please ourselves, to make ourselves happy. All right, if, believe me, if that was, if I was here to try and make uh, Scout happy, 
I'd have to have quit uh, many years ago because uh, because that's not that's not the plan, and it doesn't usually occur like I would like it to occur. If you read the works from the founding fathers, very seldom do you ever see I in there. They're not talking about I, what I need, or I'm doing this so I will have freedom. I'm doing this so that I will have a country. In almost every instance, they talk about the reason they're doing this is for their posterity, for those who come after. And we try and get that across at Appleseeds. That's the same reason that we're doing it. We're doing it for the folks that come after. I'm doing it for my kids, for my grandkids, for my great-grandkids, for the millions of Americans that I will never meet. But it's still my responsibility. Just like I was handed the nation by somebody before me, it's my responsibility to try and improve on it, to make it better and hand it to the next generation in as good or better shape, and the goal is always to make it better shape than how I got it. And for the folks that are listening from the Survival Podcast, one of the things that uh, that you're going to need is uh, you're going to need familiarity with your with the with your rifle systems, and we offer an absolutely fantastic two-day program. And the two-day program is probably the least expensive program you'll ever find. Number one, there's a ton of free categories, and uh, that's uh, active duty, guard, reserve, and law enforcement are all attend free. Women and children, women are only $10 for the weekend. Kids are only $5 for the weekend. For the rest of the folks that don't fall into those categories, it's only $70 for a two-day course. And uh, I'm sure if you look around and see some other courses, uh, a two-day course is going to run you 250 to 1500 bucks. And uh, what we're going to give you, we're not going to try and teach you. Their apple seed has no, uh, it has no ideology, no politics. There is no training in as far as what we're giving you is something that you're going to use at a later date. We're simply going to teach you uh, the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship course that's offered to, in the United States today. <clears throat> so I hope that uh, for all you guys from uh, Survival Podcast that are listening, uh, that you consider attending an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event. And I'm going to work out a deal with the uh, – with Jack somehow to get uh, to get something special for the member support brigade to uh, uh, to possibly to make uh, attendance for those guys free. I don't see why I don't see why we can't do something like we that. We throw them. You know, we don't have to do it for free. We could do it as a discount. Uh, maybe we could do like ten bucks off or something. I, I think that anybody out there listens to my show should get to an apple seat. And I know I need to do it myself. I actually want to announce something. Um, and, and Sister Wolf, uh, Tiffany Rockwell's in the chat room, and she owes me this yet. Um, I am making two organizations kind of friends of the show with free advertising on the site. Uh, one is Applebee's and the uh, uh, Applebee. I'm so sorry I said it that way. Uh, one is Appleseed, and the other one is uh, is Oath Keepers. And uh, we are we are going to put a, a medallion banner for both organizations uh, on the Survival Podcast. Uh, as advertising for you guys because I believe so much in what both of those organizations do. And I want you to know I had dinner with Stuart Rhodes, who's the founder of Oath Keepers, uh, about, I guess, three weeks ago now. And when I brought up Appleseed, he said he thought you guys were one of the finest organizations in the nation. Yeah, and, he, was, uh, uh, I think he, was, he was with us right but, at the beginning. Yeah, that's what he said. And uh, I think that it, 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 uh, it was no surprise to me to find out how much common roots there were there. 
so one thing I want everybody to know that listens to my show, Appleseed is a friend of the Survival Podcast, and, and our community is going to do the best that we can to be a friend to Appleseed. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate that. And I want everybody else that's listening, too, to understand that that is no little thing. We're talking about uh, you are, you're getting huge, and, uh, and your show is doing great. And you're getting uh, more and more people every week signing on with you. And let's, for a minute, let's talk about, uh, uh, and once again, real quick, if you want to call in, we got uh, just about uh, time for one or two phone calls, 347-308-8790. But uh, let's talk real quick about how they can get in touch with you and what you guys are offering there. Let's talk about sure. the, uh, your website, the podcast, the videos, et cetera. Yeah, um, well, you know, this is the main site is survivalpodcast.com with a V, you know, a V or a V, depending on what part of the country you're from. And uh, you can kind of get to everything from there. And we have 626 episodes as of today that are all available in the archives. The latest 50 are available on iTunes. That's not because I don't want to make more available, but because I can only fit so many in the feed to keep them in the iTunes. Uh, all of the episodes are available for free. If you want them all in nice zip files, they're part of the what we call our Members Brigade. That's 50 bucks a year if you want to be part of the Members Brigade. Right now, tonight, I'm doing it for 30 bucks for the first year uh, with the discount code 1022, because I know you guys love the 1022 as a training implement, so 1022 is the discount code. If you click on Members, you can see all the great things we do there. Uh, we have 24 uh, vendors that provide discounts. A whole bunch of free videos, over a hundred dollars worth of free ebooks that are all part of that support brigade. We also have one of the most amazing forums on the internet, as far as I'm concerned, and that's all about the moderators and all about the members, and very little about me. And if you're a moderator and you're on my forum and you're listening to this call tonight, thank you for what you've done to make that forum so absolutely freaking amazing. Um, we have a fan page, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, again, all of it's uh, linkable to. I have a Twitter channel. Uh, get in touch with us. Become part of the community. Um, you know, it's uh, it is an amazing community of people who have all decided something really, really special. We can either talk about a revolution one day, or we can be a revolution today. And we, the way we're a revolution today is by how we live, and living a life that's empowered and based on freedom and liberty. That's what the Survival Podcast is really all about. Right, guys, and listen, the. Uh... The offer he's making to you guys is really a great offer because the member support brigade, the uh, the thirty dollars for the year there. Uh, I don't know how many vendors and stuff you have now, but uh, last time I was looking through it, there were about uh, at least uh, a couple of dozen that were offering well over thirty to fifty dollars worth of stuff. Uh, each each one was offering that. Yep. Just for I mean, just for being a member. Yeah, to give you an example, one of our supporting vendors is Save Castle Royal. Uh, they've been a great sponsor for a long time. They sell everything from long-term storage food uh, to 12-volt products to work with solar uh, things and, and stuff like that. And they have a, a program of their own called the Discount Membership. It's a lifetime pr uh, product. If you buy that from them and people do it every day, it's 29 bucks. You join my Members Brigade for 30 bucks tonight, you get it for free. So effectively, now your cost for the first year is a dollar. Um, there's over a hundred dollars in value in free downloadable ebooks. You get the first day. You just go in there and download them and read them. So, so that's there. Uh, there's another sponsor named uh, Western Botanicals that has for those of you that want to take care of yourself 
using herbal supplements, whether you want whole herbs or preparations, they have a discount program. It's $50 a year for 25% off everything they sell. It's free. It's free if you're part of the Members Brigade. There's 20 videos by me that are available nowhere else, including a half-hour presentation on building a composting system for your homesteading and your gardening. And that's 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 a little tiny piece. There's a link in the chat. You can go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on members, and you can see a full list of everything that's there. But um, I don't hard sell it. You know, basically, I mention on my show for like 30 seconds every day, and say you're supporting the show at 20 cents an episode. Uh, but the reason I did it is I saw all these people doing podcasts uh, back when I started that were taking donations and things like that. I even had people say, let me give you a donation and get the show off the ground. It's just not the way I do business. If I'm going to take a dime from you, I'm going to give you a dollar in value. And, and that's what Members Brigade is really all about. Right. And let me make sure that folks understand, too, that the the one-hour-a-day podcast that uh, Jack's doing, these are free. Uh, you don't yeah, have to be a member of anything. I get people you... sometimes like, I want to start listening, I'll join your brigade. No, start listening. You don't have to – no, it's free. It's on iTunes. It's completely, totally free. Listen. Listen for as long as you like. And when you get to a point where you think, man, every day that I listen to this, it's worth two dimes, and I get a return, then join the brigade. I, and if you're in debt, pay your debt and then join the brigade. Don't. This is my business, but I'm also doing okay. You know, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be here tomorrow. Do this when the time is right for you. But if you're buying things for preparedness – this is like AAA, except the discounts matter. I mean, I guess that's the best way I could put it. Right, and the forum, the forum is absolutely fantastic because uh, you have uh, thousands of folks on the forum. You have a question, and the questions can be anywhere in the full spectrum of things you want to ask. You got a question, and it doesn't have to be about survival. It can be about gardening, how to grow something, how to start a seed, what's the best uh, item to grow in your area. You can ask any of these questions on the forum, and guaranteed you're going to, to find out somebody there. How to handle your investments in your retirement. Um, how, how to handle, uh, you know, we even have boards that are just kind of like, more like a chat thing, just more like we call it the, the, the campfire, just to like be, to be friends with people. We have regional boards where you can reach out to people that are in your state and your area. And I'll tell you what, I, I got together with my moderators. There's about 24 of them now, and I guess about a dozen of them showed up at a meeting we did in Tennessee last year. And these people, some of them who had never seen each other before, the very first thing they did when they saw each other was embrace. That's right. the type of relationships that form on our, form on our forum, and uh, I think it's because we run a tight ship. We don't let people abuse each other. We don't let people insult each other. I believe in free speech, but I don't believe you have a right to paint your free speech on my house, right? So you, you, can't, you can say Jack sucks, right? But you can't spray paint Jack sucks on the front of my house. So you don't get free speech on my forum or my blog. You get the right to speak to other people cordially. And I think because of that, we have a very well-run and well-ordered community of people that really trust, love, and empower each other. All right. Well, listen – we're at the end. You probably heard the English lady whispering in your ear 90 seconds. Yep. I want to thank you, Jack, for coming on the show, and I want to encourage everybody to uh, to go to the survivalpodcast.com and check out what he has to offer there. Does he is the rifleman or survivalist? You bet he is, all right? You have a duty to uh to ensure that uh when things go bad or even if they don't, that you're in a position to take care of yourself, your family, and your community and not be running around making bad decisions and not be standing on top of your house 
with a Save Me sign on. All right, uh, don't uh, don't forget, uh, guys. Take advantage of the uh, of the offer that Jack was uh, was giving you. And I want to, once again, I want to thank everybody uh, who is listening tonight. I want to encourage the uh, Appleseed folks to uh, cross pollinate with the uh, Survival Podcast folks. I want to invite all of the Survival Podcast folks to attend an Appleseed, and I'll work out with Jack a way to. Uh, to figure out the discount, and uh, and then there's going to be a bunch of freebies too, because I still have a, a stack of free uh, certificates to give out. Jack, thank you. God bless you and yours, and uh, we hope to see everybody again this next Tuesday. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on, and everybody who's here tonight, uh, thanks for taking the time to listen to us. All right. Thank you, folks, and uh, we will see you next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you.